I think anytime I think about grief, I can't think about, I can't not think about uh, spirituality and just the connections and stuff there. So just kind of opening that conversation up. What do you think about that? Well, as I said earlier, that is one of the commonalities between the, the two in the recovery. I, I think what I have learned, and I am an interfaith minister and a spiritual counselor as well, is it is very important to give space as to what spirituality is to each and every person. Um, a lot of times I will say, it may be nature for you, it may be this, it may be that. But I, I agree with you that fundamentally it's important, but I also think it's really, really important to have a broad swath as to what it could be. Well, thank you for joining us on this new episode of Finding New Waters. And today we have Annie O'Neill. Annie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. Sure. Uh, and we also have Justin McClendon, Executive Director here at New Waters. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Annie's area of expertise in grief and its relationship to substance use disorders. Uh, thanks so much for being with us here today. And I uh, just want to open up like with this idea of what is the connection between grief and how did you get interested in this topic of grief? So personally, I got forced into this topic of grief. Um, I came from a family that uh, squelched grief like a lot of families do. And when I was 25 and my mother died and there was no service, um, she had spent seven and a half weeks in intensive care. Um, and then she passed, and we were expected to go on as though nothing had happened, and there was no opportunity to process. And, uh, and even prior to that, there had been a few other instances where, you know, like, no, to group, not, not okay. Um, but that was really the capstone. And at that time, I myself was already drinking, as a lot of my family did, um, and that definitely escalated it to a new level. So I mm. personally saw the link between grief and substance use, but I didn't think about it much until many, many, many years, even decades later when I was working at a, as, at a um, hospital as a chaplain, and I had a grief counseling background, and uh, one of the substance use counselors found that out and said, boy, are we going to put you to use? And I started working with a lot of the people individually there, and what I was really struck by was how many of them had said that nobody had ever talked to them about. And these were people, a lot of whom had been in and out of a lot of treatment centers. Mm -hmm. And there just wasn't the room for talking about the loss. And, you know, the topics that often go with it, too, like for need for forgiveness for themselves, need for forgiveness for others, um, wow. spiritual connection with people on the other side. A lot of people find that they can find a higher power. Yeah. by first linking to ancestors mm. that they knew. So um, it it really opened my eyes to what feels to me still, I think it's getting better, but still feels to me like a, a kind of missing element in most yeah. places around recovery. In, in that story you shared, though, Annie, um, it's, it's weird that grief is so common, but also so on 
like so foreign and unknown to us. And I think a lot of our, our viewers and our listeners might not even know how to think about the word grief. Mm -hmm. So just to, just to help people get caught up, when we're talking about grief or when you talk about grief, how do you help patients understand what grief is? So there are two different levels to that. You know, the standard response is it's the normal reaction to significant loss. And um, I also often take, take people to, Francis Weller is a Jungian uh, therapist that I, I've done some studying with. Mm -hmm. And he had it's a book called Wild Edge of Sorrow, which is an absolutely beautiful book. And he identifies there as being five gates to grief. The first gate is everything we love, we will lose. So that's what our society traditionally thinks of as grief. Mm -hmm. It's loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, loss of health, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing that he uh, he calls gate two is grief for the parts of us that have not known love. And that includes a lot of shame and a lot of people mm. in recovery can really relate to that. So it's grief for the parts of us that have not known love from others or from ourselves. And then the third gate to grief is grief for the world, living in the world that we live in today with what you know, society is like and what's yeah. happening to Mother Nature and everything. A lot of us carry that day in and day out. And it's kind of background noise, but it's not, you know, not to be dismissed by any stretch the fourth gate he calls um, grief for the part for the things that we needed and did not receive. And he especially talks about that being at the soul level. So the acknowledgement of who we are as a person, you know, not being seen, not being heard, not being valued for the gifts and what we're bringing. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth is ancestral grief. So it's what are we carrying in, from our family lineage? Mm -hmm. So I, I often introduce people to all five of those gates because I find it opens up the mind as to what grief is. And sometimes, even though it feels big at that point in time, it can help it to feel a little more approachable, too. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, to back up a minute, you were talking about how um, it seems like people just don't give enough attention to, to grief, right, yeah. or address it enough. And I wonder just what, what your opinion about that is or what's your thoughts around why is it that there's not enough attention given? I think it's because it is such a big emotion mm -hmm. that most people don't know how to sit with it. Most people, it's scary. Mm. Um, there, I've talked to many, many people that are like, if I go into this, I'm not sure that I can come out. Mm. And, you know, in that instance, I talk about the fact of the strength of the psyche and the soul in that, you know, they will protect you. They will take you only as far as you can go. And like that. um, that's an, an important thing to, to give people comfort with. But a lot of people feel like it can get so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And to add it, you know, in the background, it's our society telling us things like, you got to keep busy, keeping busy will take care of it and all that other kind of thing. So it's a societal pressure as well. Right. Um, but I think it's really important um, to just be aware that that exists and that is going to be the background noise. But the truth of healing from grief is it takes a deep dive. Mm. It really takes a deep mm. dive. There's a quote not related to grief directly, um, but in general from Maya Angelou that I love that I often use around this. And it's, she says, um, I will be affected by things that happen to me, but I refuse to be reduced by them. 
Mm. And I use that as an invitation to people. I say, you know, like short term, you are going to be reduced by grief. But we want to work together to make sure that long term you don't have to be reduced by grief. And that includes things like you don't have to turn to substances. Mm -hmm. And a whole lot of people turn to substances. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, to piggyback off that point, Annie, um, there's five gates. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone I know (laughs) has a lot of those gates Mm -hmm. in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would also say... None of them would say that these are active problems for them. Well, you know, there's a lot of times where people are thinking that I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) But if you really want to have a rich, full life, you kind of need to sit with, I wonder how that might impact me. Yeah. You know, I, it may not, I may be able to get through my day just fine if, knowing that there is a part of my heart that is yeah. not being fed. Yeah. But how much richer could my life be? And quite frankly, again, when come when dealing with substance use and addiction issues, um, right. you never know when they're going to creep up. Right. When you're pushing that kind of stuff off to the side, uh, not having healed from them mm. may right. catch up to you at any point in time. Well, that's what I'm, I'm curious is that, what do you do you see that happen in reality where people are just loaded with grief but they're unaware absolutely absolutely so can you tell us about like a, a story or a time where you you've helped someone find it see it and take stock of what is done i think um client I worked with recently is a good example. Um, someone dealing with their own health issues and very much in the, oh, but I found out that it's not going to be all that bad, so I'm just going to move forward. And one of the things as a social worker it is, um, I'm trying to think of the, of the word, so, people's right to decide where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't push Autonomy. And yeah, uh-huh. self-autonomy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I um and I, I don't I don't push and she opted otherwise, but I did introduce her to the fact that um there does seem to be a little part of her that does realize that it would be helpful to look at the fear that she's experiencing around death. Mm. And um and to, to look at if there's a way to kind of make friends with it. So to your point about the everybody being loaded with it, though, too, another thing that Frances Weller often talks about is the fact that, you know, we usually think as a society whether we're in grief or not. And he talks about the fact that the reality that we're living in is everyone in our society is in grief every day. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of how close are you dancing with it. And I think that really helps. One of my friends talked about, who's also a grief counselor, talked about the fact that after her sister died, she said, you know, those days when people wore black armbands, they made sense. You know, we knew to be a little bit more careful with them, that there might be a little bit more emotion involved, that they might be a little more volatile or they might need a little bit more. And when we were walking down the streets, that was known. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, now we go by and we don't know what grief everybody's carrying. Mm, and yet right. they're being impacted by it and our relationships with right. them are being impacted by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We talk a, a lot about uh, recovery as a journey. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about how when when you had a huge loss, your drinking increased. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you see grief and addiction going together and, and what do they do to each other? Well, and so I, I have both experiences. I have the experience of, of having lost someone close to me and having increased my drinking. And then um, my husband also died when I had about five years sober. So that was my, okay, I'm going to need to learn how to do this differently if I'm going to stay sober. So I really dove into what were the feelings that were coming up and all this other kind of stuff. Today, um, and out of that came the way that I work with people in a very general sense. I started this model called HEAR, which, I stand, which stands for Heal, Explore, Refine, Emerge. And when I first started it, I expected it to be much more, um, much more linear and much more uh, condensed. And now I use it in a very general sense. But basically what has to happen first after a loss is we need to dive into the healing. There's physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, uh, everything is impacted by it. And we need to really look at what, what needs to be healed from that. But after that happens for a while, people start to get into a state of exploration, knowing that they're not going to be stay the same from who they were. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do I want this to impact me? How do I want it to affect who I am today? And then after the exploration comes the period of refinement about what do you want to keep and what do you not want to keep? And then kind of emerge into the, the beingness of a new person. Um, you know, one thing I talk about a lot with the notion of both um, grief and and recovery, they are by far and away the hardest things that people will have to go through in their lifetime, but they are also the biggest opportunities people have for true transformation. Mm. And I think that's an important hope to hold out for people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking... Um, you were talking about the the five gates. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the words that you used, but the fourth one, uh, essentially things that we didn't receive that mm-hmm. we that we needed and we didn't get, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Dr. Hong could speak to this too. So a, a lot of the work that we do, I think work that we've all probably done, right? But we do an assessment process here where we're able to really do a deep dive with people on the psychological, psychiatric, and physical kind of fronts. Uh, and I think Dr. Hong would probably agree with me more times than not, it's really interesting to work with people um, and, and bring to their awareness, sometimes that they're not even aware of all mm-hmm. of these things that they needed in their past uh, or currently mm-hmm. uh, that they just never really got. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. they often dismiss it with, oh, that's silly, that's stupid, I don't right. really need uh, that. Yeah. yeah, Or that yeah. that's not trauma. And interesting, I'm, I feel like I'm learning something or having my perspective shift because I've always thought of that as like trauma. But I, I'm just really refreshing to also kind of see that as, mm-hmm. as grief, which mm-hmm. is, is really nice uh, to just have that different perspective. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's huge. And I mm-hmm. think most people probably struggle with that in some way or another, right? Things that maybe they needed and just didn't Absolutely. Get. And that's a lot of work that I do with people mm-hmm. is around their needs and identifying them. 
and particularly working with people in the healing process uh, after a loss, mm. I I invite them to think about all of the roles. The, I'm talking about a, a loss of a loved one, mm -hmm. all of the roles that a person played in their life and what needs were filled from that. Mm -hmm. And I help them to see that those needs still exist and they will, of course, never be filled in the exact same way. And that is something to be grieved and paid attention to and everything yeah. else. But it's also important to look at how are those needs going to be met otherwise? Mm. You know, when when a partner dies, they're also, you know, your travel buddy, your your financial companion. Sure. And, and all of those needs are very real. And unfortunately it's not stuff that's looked at often mm -hmm. and it's really important because it impacts somebody's life to the very core level. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But with how painful and complicated it is, denial is totally natural. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our clients, family members uh, would say that they know that their loved one is in total denial of this huge loss that they've had mm -hmm. and, and they're using alcohol to just cover the pain up, just mm -hmm. numb, numb the emotional pain of that huge loss. And they've, they've asked them to go for help. They've asked them to process it, get into it. And they, they can't, or they won't. Mm -hmm. um, like, have you ever been in a situation where someone, someone came into your office and you help them, help them have the courage to, mm -hmm. to take that step into that tough work? One of the things that I used with the groups at the hospital a lot that that opened people's eyes, I think, is I talked about the similarities between grief and early recovery, that in both instances, you know, the rug has been pulled out from them. They don't know who they are. They don't know what's next. They don't know how they're going to get there. They don't know if they even care if they get there or not. Yeah. So that's a huge thing. Physical symptoms are all over the place. Emotional mm -hmm. emotions are up and down and sideways and relationships are up in the air and all this other kind of stuff. When I delivered that news first to the groups, they were like, wait a minute, why are you dumping all this? <laughs> and then I said, but the good news is healing from grief and getting into recovery have a lot of similarities too. They have the similarities of it's one day at a time because that's all you can take. Mm. They have the mm -hmm. similarities that spirituality can really be helpful. And when I say spirituality, I refer to some connection to something beyond that helps you to make some sense. It might be nature. It might be music. It might be a more traditional religion, whatever it is. But it's what helps you make some sense of the universe. Um, it's helpful to have just a couple of people that you can talk to, that you can that really get what you're going through. Uh, it's helpful to tell your story. So there's a lot of similarities in both instances, too. So I remind them that they're not in getting into recovery and or dealing with their healing from grief. They're not only tackling one. They're tackling both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Makes it a little more palatable, at least. Yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Did that answer your question? I'm not sure. If I, mean, I think it's great. You're, you're talking about getting people in the in sync with the idea of grief, uh, because they've heard a lot about recovery mm -hmm. and you can say, okay, it's, it's actually not that far off from right. this, this track that you've already started to build up for yourself. Um, but we have people who are in total denial, mm. right? Like I, I, it's, it's shocking. Like Justin and I, we, we work with so many clients yeah. here 
And uh, we know that family of origin trauma was, was a huge contributing factor to the development of their process or their substance use. Yep. And when you ask them, what was it like? They would say, perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Perfect yeah. family. Not uncommon Total at denial. all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, and I think that so many of our the, our clients' loved ones are just tearing their hair out. Yeah. Right. Like, how can you not see how how dysfunctional this is? How can you not see how much pain you're carrying? And uh, what are some some ways that we can break through like this this shield of denial? Yeah. That is so powerful with a lot of our clients. Yeah. I um. In that kind of instance, I, I turn to motivational interviewing and the, the, the note, the pointing out the dissonance, uh -huh. the very gentle, compassionate, loving, pointing out the dissonance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing, too, that I think is important is the whole notion of holding them in their wholeness. That came from the spiritual counseling training that mm -hmm. I had, and I'm so grateful for it because I... It means that I'm a therapist that doesn't work from the pathological standpoint. It means that I'm holding them in their wholeness even when they can't see it. Yeah. So I'm holding them in their ability to get through the grief and their ability to see it eventually, their ability to, um, you know, stand up for their life Yeah. when they can't possibly imagine that they even need to at this point in time. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually, uh, just thinking about it. Uh, we, we had Sheila Maitland uh, visit with us, and she's an experiential therapist in mm -hmm. Charlotte, uh, does a lot of training and work with the on-site workshops team. And uh, she would say that safety is Absolutely. the beginning. Absolutely. Right? And uh, when you're talking about grief and pain and how dangerous that feels in so many ways, if you're not safe, Absolutely. If you're not in a safe therapeutic relationship, you're you're going to hide it. Right? Yeah. And uh, and it reminds me of this other thing that I just ran across, which is <clears throat> when we see something that doesn't make sense, we can react to it with anger right. or curiosity. Right. Right. And I love your approach of motivational interviewing because it's it's curiosity. Mm -hmm. Right. Tell me how that helps you. Yep. Uh, tell me what you think about. Tell me what you worry about. Yeah. And and it's it's just a much safer place. Yeah. for people to get to know themselves better. Yeah. I do a fair amount of um, IFS parts work too, and curiosity is so key to that. It's really interesting when somebody meets a part that they're like, I'm not mm. sure I like this part. What am I going to do with it? So, and, so for, for our non-therapy uh, people, what is IFS? <laughs> IFS is Internal is. Family Systems. It was founded about 40 years ago by Richard Schwartz. And it is the notion that all of us have many, many parts within us. And a simple, simple thing that I often use with clients is, I have a part that wants to go to a party and I have a part that doesn't want to go to the party. Mm -hmm. I have a part that, you know, has wonderful memories from childhood. And I have a part that remembers that, you know, there was a lot of neglect there too. Mm -hmm. And as we start to get to know these parts, the goal is not to banish any of them. You know, the parts of us that we don't like as well, the judgmental and all this other kind of stuff, they all feel like they have something to offer us. They're all rooting for us and, and holding up us in the highest. Yeah. And what we need to do is make the space to, to come from that, to understand them, to accept them, and to give them their space. And then 
we can begin to negotiate with them a little bit as opposed to banish <laughs> them completely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that. Yeah. I like that. Negotiation. I think there's a lot of that that has to go on, right? Yes. Well, yeah. recovery is nothing but a lot of negotiation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> negotiation with ourselves, negotiation with others. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Families. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if, if someone negotiates and says, well, why do I have to stop drinking uh, if I want to do this grief work? Can, can, I, can I keep drinking and, and keep working with you, Annie, on grief? Like, what, what would you say to a client? I would, um, it would, it would depend upon the client, quite mm -hmm. frankly. There are some clients that I work with with harm reduction first, and I suggest that look at how they may be harming themselves or putting themselves or loved ones in danger. And if they want to start from a harm reduction standpoint and they feel capable of doing that, I may very well start some grief work with them if just to get a sense as to whether or not mm -hmm. where they really are. Um, there are others that I would probably just outright say no, <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh -huh. it really is up to the individual, yeah. what's going on with the individual client. But like, I have become a huge fan of harm reduction, and I think that's a that's an open opening of the door to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And by that, do you mean uh, we're we're going to take the good that we can get safely? And so, um, if if total sobriety right now is not an option, and we can still safely do some grief work, we'll, we'll go for that. Yes. But rule of thumb, like you're, it sounds like most of the time you're saying sobriety first yeah well mostly because i don't think i don't think it's possible to really do deep grief work mm -hmm. when you're in mind-altered states right. a good chunk of your life just not being able to connect truly emotionally yeah. right yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The, the defenses are still a little too strong at mm -hmm. that point in time Absolutely. yeah yeah can you fully recover from substance use without doing the grief work? It's mm, a great question. That is a good question. I, um, I suppose it depends upon the losses that you've experienced in your life. Say you're in your early 20s and you've had a relatively mild substance use career so far. You uh -huh. may be able to. But if you've been using pretty heavy and hard for, for a decade or so, you have probably had enough grief instances from that alone. Mm. The number of people at the rehab that I worked with that had, you know, been shooting up with somebody who died. Right. So they have grief and trauma at the exact same time. Right. And guilt and all sorts of other things. Uh, then you're probably not going to be able to recover until you do some, do some work around that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I talk about the fact that with all trauma comes grief and with a lot of grief comes trauma. You know, if your 95 year old grandmother died and she had lived a full life and you had a good relationship, there's not going to be trauma around that. But if you were shooting up with somebody and they died next to you, mm -hmm. you're going to have some trauma to work, to, work right. through too. So, Absolutely. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that is 100% for sure. And, and, you know, traumatic. I mean, just using that word, I think substance use in itself. I mean, if anybody has struggled with the depths of addiction, like 
in itself is yeah, traumatic. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. The things we put ourselves through. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm biased. So I'd like to squeeze this into the conversation. Okay. I think anytime I think about grief, I can't think about, I can't not think about uh, spirituality and just mm -hmm. the connections and stuff there. So just kind of mm -hmm. opening that conversation up. What do you think about that? Well, as I said earlier, that mm -hmm. is one of the commonalities between the, the two in mm -hmm. the recovery. I, I think what I have learned, and I am an interfaith minister and a spiritual counselor mm -hmm. as well, is it is very important to give space as to what spirituality is to each and every sure. person. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of times I will say it may be nature for you. Mm -hmm. It may be this. It may be that. But I, I agree with you that fundamentally it's important, but I also mm -hmm. think it's really, really important to have a broad swath as to what it could be. Yeah. But given that as I said, spirituality to me is something that has purpose and meaning, mm -hmm. um, then yes, that's, that is when someone has lost someone so close to them, that is often what's missing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, David Kessler, who used to work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has written a book on the, the sixth stage of, of mm -hmm. grief, which is finding meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of validity to that, yeah. that we, um, we heal by saying, wait a minute, I do have reason to go on. Wait, wait a minute. It does make sense. In my own book, um, it, it, which is called, uh, If You Want the Rainbow, Welcome the Rain, A Memoir of Grief and Recovery, I talk about the fact that when I was sitting in a sangha, it, it taught me to go back to my breath at a point in time when I didn't care if I was breathing or not. Mm. And I, I share that with a lot of people because People are really quick to say, I'm not suicidal, but I don't care if I'm here or not. And I was like, mm -hmm. completely, completely, completely yeah. understandable part of grief. Absolutely. So, yeah. And Absolutely. so whatever it is that helps us to find that meaning and that purpose mm -hmm. uh, to, to want to still be here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to your point, Justin, I, I think that I have a lot of friends and acquaintances who use spirituality to, like, skip grief. Right. Right. To avoid yeah. it. Right. So they'll say <clears throat> everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they're in a better place. They, they, they're in heaven now. And we're just moving uh, on. I should yeah. be happy. Right. Yeah. Have you heard of the term spiritual bypass? Yeah. That's exactly heard, what right. that is. And I, I, th so it was coined by John Wellwood. And it is to use a spiritual precept to go around uh, having emotion mm -hmm. and it is probably grief that that happens the most around. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. And it never, it never works. Right. You know, it might, yeah. it might work for a very short period of time, but it's going to catch up to you sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, I, my heart like feels very uh, like frustrated and, and heavy mm -hmm. when I hear those, those conversations yeah. happen because, um, well, I, spirituality, faith, uh, is a huge part of my life mm -hmm. as well. Um, I, I am a firm believer that there there is a higher power and the, the meaning and the intent of that higher power is woven through everything that we experience. Uh, but I also believe that our higher power uh, wants us to understand things more fully and, and live more holistically right. than this. Um, and, and so like, how do you, how do you help people think through like how, how all the complexities of a spiritually sacred grief process. 
well, I, that's an excellent question. And the note, I love the notion of the spiritually sacred mm -hmm. and it is to talk about the sacredness of their life, how they lived, what their legacy is, how they impacted their, their own life, the person who's left behind. And from there in the honoring, they can usually start to get in touch with the heart a little bit more. And it, it tends to be a little bit less dismissive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The whole notion you noticed, uh, we, t we spoke earlier about the, the, what I call the invitations to soulful mm -hmm. living. Yes. And one of them, the last one is the invitation to embrace one's humanity and one's mortality. And the reason that that became the eighth one, which I added in the pandemic, is I noticed how many people were so terrified of death, absolutely positively terrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I am with the spiritual teachers who basically say, if you have not embraced that you're going to leave this world someday, you're not going to be able to fully live on this world either. Uh, the Buddhists mm -hmm. use a poem meditation which basically is practicing dying to become familiar with it. And there's a lot to be said for that. And in teaching somebody how to embrace their own, it usually helps them open the door to grief a little bit more mm -hmm. as yeah. well. Yeah. Can you That's say more about soulful living? I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just so, strikes me as being the opposite of, of how, of, how we ordinarily live in ways that um, deplete us or, or burn us out. It, it is absolutely the opposite of that. It's a very spacious living. It's a very pre being present living. Um, that is actually the, the crux of the, the studying that I'm doing with Francis Weller is the whole notion of soul. And the way I describe soulful living is it is about being present, being available. And it's about, and I often say, you can look at somebody and know when they're having a soulful life, but it's not about how it looks to people. Whenever we get caught in how it looks or right. what the ego wants and all this other kind of mm -hmm. stuff, we are completely going opposite to soul. And um, one of my own uh, spiritual teachers at one point in time, Kim Hughes, in you describe spiritual counseling as helping people to learn to live more from their soul and less from their ego. Mm -hmm. And that is how I describe my work a lot too, is just really helping people to understand at their core who they are and what they want and how they want to live their life and giving themselves permission to do so. It, it takes me back to a quote from Rachel Naomi Remen that I like a lot too, that says healing may not be so much about getting better as it is about letting go of everything. That's not you, all of the mm -hmm. beliefs and all of the expectations and becoming who you really are. And I think that's true definitely in the process of recovery. And it's also yeah. true in the process of really deeply healing from grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Love that idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, I have all these thoughts running through my head, right? But I think, you know, overarchingly, like our society, I think, you know, we do a lot of the opposite of that. Absolutely. Right? You know, it's about Absolutely. the work, uh, 
the career advancements and just like you name it, right? What does it look like? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. I was raised in a family of just make it look good. Yeah, just make, just it, make look it look good. good. Right? Yeah. Keeping up with the Joneses, you know, whatever the exterior is, as long as everybody thinks yeah. that it's good, yeah. then we should be good, right? But yeah, and it's not that, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. soulful living. So my first career. Um, was actually in advertising. I was in the glamorous wow, world of the ad biz. Okay. And I've had many people laugh that I've kind of taken one one extreme to the other. I'm looking at social work <laughs> as the middle path. But um, yeah, you know, I had by 30 years old, I was a VP at one of the hot New York agencies. Nice. And my I was so empty though. Right. I wasn't yet sober. Yeah. And I was just, I worked so hard to make the outside look okay. Because the inside was just mush, mm. just broken and mush. Um, and that's what soulful living gets you is is to start to let go of the fact that you have to work so hard to have the outside look good um, mm -hmm. and to start to pay attention to what does the inside need more. You know, things like sitting with those five gates and mm -hmm. really asking your question, like, how does this impact me today? Right. It takes... Um, it takes a certain level of commitment to soul to even be able to begin there. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. But that comparison is a big part of why people stay in their addiction as long as they do. Mm -hmm. right? the, like the shame, the embarrassment of admitting that you have an alcohol use disorder or you have uh, like a pill disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's too shameful. It, it compares so poorly mm. to everyone else. So I just have to keep it a secret. Yeah. Uh, same with grief, right? Um, no one, no one wants to be around me when I'm crying or mm. sad. So I need to hide it and just, just move on. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't. No, it definitely doesn't work. And you know, first of all, the truth is we're not hiding things as much as we think we are. Right. <laughs> you know, people usually have a better sense of what's going on. And the reality, another one of the invitations, ah, I just realized the invitation okay. that I forgot to mention Perfect. to you guys, is the invitation to connect, the invitation mm. to really connect, starting with yourself and connecting with others, connecting with spirit, connecting with nature, connecting mm. with um, with ancestors. It's only when we can start to tap into soul that we can truly honestly connect. When we're living from the make it look good, we're always looking over our shoulder as to, you know, how am I looking? How, how am right. I doing compared to this other one? Right. So, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because it's like we, when we live in this world where we're going to compare ourselves to other people, we're pretty much guaranteed to not get what we actually need or want. Right. But when we switch tracks and say, I don't care anymore. I'm going to live for my soul. Mm -hmm. uh, you're actually going to get what you want. And, and I mean, not to go back into this other paradigm, but ironically, the people that you were previously comparing yourself to, they're probably going to notice, Hey, like Annie's, Annie's so much better these yeah. days. Like she smiles, mm -hmm. like she has energy. Yeah. Uh, I want that for myself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. I, um, 
weird story, but I'll tell it anyhow. I worked at um, my last job in advertising. Actually, that's not true. My last job in advertising before I took a year off and got sober and then came back into advertising (laughs) was at a very small agency. And it was headed by a team of two. And one of them was an English guy with his booming accent. And I called to make an amend. I was a horrendous employee there. Mm -hmm. I had bad mouthed them to clients. I was drunk at lunch a lot. I came in late because I was hungover from the night before and blah, blah, blah. And yet I always, I had the attitude of, well, they don't know what they have with me, you know? So I called him to make an amend and I, and I said, you know, I wanted to acknowledge that I didn't live up to how I could have, what I should have done here and everything. And again, in booming English accent, he says, well, we all loved you on your good days. <laughs> and my response was, well, I, thank you for that. And I'm happy to say I'm having a lot more good days. <laughs> he says, well, that's lovely. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, people notice when you start living from your soul. And I was also really glad to see that the, um, you said when you live for your soul, you know, I think our society can also get confused and think living for ourself mm, yeah. and living for ourself can be a very selfish way of doing right. things. Soulful living has got a lot of room for being available and being of service to others as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, um, that Francis Willer talks about is the fact that we live in a largely adolescent society because we haven't been formed to grow to really push to grow up. And what adulthood really is, is about being willing to start to take responsibility for being a member of the community and serving the community as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. And, you know, something that we don't have access to when we're still using and even when we haven't really healed our grief yeah 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 absolutely absolutely when people say uh heal your grief mm-hmm. uh, how I'm do you, glad you ask that question <laughs> you haven't even asked it fully but because i've had many people say i will I, I will never heal from grief yeah and i think that often comes from a misguided sense of loyalty that if yep. healing the grief could mean shutting the door on it, it could mm. mean never thinking about it, it could be. And that's not at all what healing from grief is. The best description that I've ever seen was a book that I read shortly after my husband died. It's, it's called Seven Choices by Elizabeth Harper Neal. And mm. she talks about the fact that the last stage that she identifies is integration. And it's where you, again, find that purpose and meaning that we talked about earlier, that you are, again, able to access joy, um, that you're able to recognize that issues still come up in life, um, but they don't have to define you anymore. And how how I often describe it to people is like when you've lost something or someone that had previously defined you, the loss itself will define you for a while. But what happens that that healing from grief is it's starting to make space for other things, starting to make space for uh, new people to come into your life, to new interests Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of thing. And that that's what healing from grief is for me. It's about being able to, you know, get through to that emerge stage and find a new chapter for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
So that it doesn't go away. You find a way to incorporate it, if you will. Right? Yeah. So um, Monday was my wedding anniversary yeah. and I had a tender day, sure. you know, and it was 23 years ago and my husband died 21 years ago. Mm. And I just made space for it. You yeah. know, I, I did what I needed to do. I was able to show up. It's been a while, sure. but mm -hmm. I also, um, you know, honored him in my heart. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't completely go away. But, you know, should it really? Right. It's a large part of what defines who we've become. I had a sponsee once ask me, one of the things that guides me is I have a deep, deep trust that things unfold for my highest good, for all of our highest good. And at human egoic self cannot see that most of the time, yep. but I do have that trust. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that trust. And I was having this conversation with the sponsee one time and she said, but how can you feel that way after having lost your husband, after having had such short time with him? And without even a second thought, the words that came out of my mouth were because of who I became as a result of that experience of knowing him, of his illness, of his death and all of it. Um, and I think that's imp an important part of getting to the other side of, of anything that we face in our life right. is the possibility of, you know, who might I become as a result of this mm -hmm. to the good, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, like you mentioned, I mean, I think especially with addiction, right? I mean, we hear so many people that are struggling with substance use disorder that are thinking or kicking the tires of recovery, so to mm -hmm. speak. Exactly to your point, like, yeah. you know, that fear of like, well, what will I be? You yeah. Know? What will I do with my time? Who will I spend my time with? Mm -hmm. like, I'll be boring. I'll be boring. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what am I going to do for fun? Yeah. 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 It's amazing what our mind can tell us. You know, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I remember being terrified. It was a long time ago about the, I will never have fun again. I have had so much more fun in recovery <laughs> right. than I ever right. had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know. We don't know what we don't know until, and that's where it's important to have people that, that can share their experience, strength, and hope with us, Absolutely. both around recovery and around the fact that it's possible to heal from grief mm -hmm. um, and to love again and to, you know, be a part of life again and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Annie, uh, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Thank um, you. Like we said earlier, grief is something that we're all experiencing. Absolutely. And it it keeps us stuck in in our pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of us are stuck there just because we don't know that there's another side to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I just feel so blessed and fortunate to hear your story. And, and you're telling us that there is another side. That there is a soulful life mm -hmm. in our future and our higher power desires it for all of us. Um, and we can access it. Like when we talk with wise people like yourself, when we look for healing um, in a place uh, for detox and recovery, and we meet other people who have been on this journey. Mm -hmm. So those resources are out there yeah. for people. Um, and, and they just, but it, it's not every day. We might not be aware of it, but there's resources out there and there's hope and mm -hmm. a soulful life ahead for all yeah. of us. Yeah. And I do just want to offer if anybody wants to learn more about my perspective, my website is yoursoulpath.com. Excellent. Um, so, Excellent. So yeah. we, we'll have to put a link in the, in the description to all right. the books that you've shared, uh, all the authors and great minds that you've worked with. 
and um, of course, how, how clients can connect to you. Awesome. I'd love to put that there. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Thank, Thank you. you. Annie.